Welcome to Breakthrough Cocktail. We're mixing up happiness, good life skills, and adding a dash of improv to help you live an awesome life. Please give it up for your breakthrough mixologist, Gary Ware. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. I am your host, Gary Ware. And today on the show, I have Brandon Ely of TwoBigFeet.com. And that is the number two, or T-O-O, or T-O, BigFeet.com. And I met him at the World Domination Summit. And he has an awesome story, and I'm excited for him to tell it. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Great. And as I mentioned, you own the site, TwoBigFeet.com. Can you tell us a little bit about the site and what you do? Sure. We're an online retailer of large men's shoes. So we sell uh, shoes like Zappos does, but we specialize in just the extremely large sizes, 14 to 22, and um, also extra wide widths in those big sizes. So it's a very, very uh, niche business, and we've been doing it for about 15 years now. Wow. And prior to that, and one of the reasons why I wanted to get Brandon on the show is you were doing this side-by-side with a day job that you're unhappy with, correct? Yeah. I, um, at, at the time we started the business back in 99, I launched it in early 2000. I think about 2001, I started doing uh, building websites and doing web consulting also. And I built a small consulting company that I sold in 2006. And part of the deal was I went to work for the company that bought my company, thinking I'd be there a year, maybe two, um, two turned into four and four turned into almost eight. And after about five, it, it started to be clear to me that um, punching a clock and making somebody else money wasn't really what I wanted to do. I've always been an uh, entrepreneur. I've started several other businesses um, in, in that period of time. So I always knew I kind of wanted to go back to just being an entrepreneur. It was just when you have a really good job and you're making really good money, it's, it's hard to give that stability up. When you know you like you got the house and the cars and you know the stuff that you love, it's really hard to give all that up and just you know take that leap. Uh, but it was time. It was time. So in in August, I, I took the leap, and, and August fifteenth was my last day. Wow! And you haven't looked back since. Nope. That's great. So let's rewind a bit and talk about how you got into this. As you mentioned, TwoBigFeet.com. You've had that for fifteen years. Um, so how did you get started? You know, in that, what was your sort of mindset on creating this website? Well, back in 1999, I was working for a pretty good-sized company, uh, and I didn't, I didn't really care for the, the big corporate you know, structure and the, you know, the rules and all their bureaucracy, and the guy in the office next to me didn't either. And one day he came into my office and he, he told me a story about how it was uh, so hard for him to find shoes. He was a size 16, and he told me a story about going into a shoe store and asking, you know, is this available in a size 16? And the guy would laugh at it. And, and he would ask for something else, and they would actually laugh out loud at the size of shoe that he wore. And 16 really isn't that big for us. Uh, we sell 17s, 18s, 19s. But he told me the story about never having access to shoes. When he, when he you know, got out of college and he was going to work, he still didn't have access to work shoes, dress shoes for church, those kind of things. And he wanted to build a website for people with a problem that he had. So he asked me if I could build him a website. And I had never built a website, never coded a look at HTML, didn't know anything about the internet. Uh, so naturally, we both quit our jobs and started a business uh, doing what we had no clue how to do. 
Uh, but it worked out, and you know, 15 years later, we're going strong and uh, doing a great business. Great. And so you started without even knowing how to code a website. How did you learn that? Well, back in 1999-2000, there weren't a lot of websites and blogs and uh, content about you know, how to do these kind of things. It was all self-taught. We'd look at uh, the HTML on current pages and we'd you know, read the documentation, that whatever limited documentation that came with shopping cart platforms. And it was really a lot of trial and error. Uh, we, we, I bought books where I could find them. You know, they were basic HTML books, but they were more like uh, it was more like documentation than a real you know, teaching tool. Uh, it just taught you the tags and the syntax. And so it was really just a, a lot of trial and error. The first couple of years were pretty rough. Got it. But you were making enough to actually make a living, I assume. Um, not the first few years. We quit our jobs and raised a good bit of money. Um, we raised just shy of $100,000 in revenue and money to start the business and seed money and with a mix of you know, SBA loans and family money and everything we could scrape together. And within the first year, we were both back working in some capacity because the business you know, didn't take off. You, know, they, you think when you start a new business, it's just going to take off the first week. And uh, we didn't give ourselves a long enough runway. So my business partner went back to the company that we used to work for and I started building websites on the side. Once I taught myself web development, I figured I could use that as a skill. And, and that's how I started my web development company. Got so it. we did that as we were building our business. It took us three years to even get to six figures in, a year in revenue. From, so, from the website? Yeah, from our business. And it wasn't you know, fully self-sustaining. In fact, in 2007, my business partner just gave, given up. He just wanted out, didn't want to do anything with it anymore. So my, my wife and I took over full ownership uh, back in 2007. And that's when we actually really started to grow rapidly. Uh, doubling in size every year uh, for several of those years, and and now we're you know doing comfortably in seven figures. Wow! So before we jump into that, you got to a point where you said, "All right, you know what? I need to get back <laughs> in the work workforce because I'm not making enough money." Um, and did you do freelance? Was that all that you did, or did you actually go and and take a another job? I did freelance for a while uh, and. I did take a job for a brief period of time. I did better freelance than I ever did with a job. Um, but I did freelance up until the point that a company sought me out and hired me to run their, their web development department. And I did that. And they were a good company, good people to work for. They went out of business, unfortunately. Uh, so I, I went back to freelance and started another uh, you know, web development firm or agency, whatever you want to call it, and ended up selling that to, a, to another agency. So I've been back and forth over the last 14, 15 years, Got with, it. Uh, working for someone or working for myself or working for someone. Yeah. I think a, a good lesson here that our audience would find valuable is that you had your own future in your own hands. You didn't wait for someone to give you a handout. You found a skill. You learned it. Uh, you turned that skill into something that you could sell. And then, yeah, you went back to a job. You know, you saw the need to, but it it was always it seems like it was always just the your freelance ability that kept you going. Is that correct? Yeah, the the jobs that I've taken over the last uh, fourteen or so years, uh, the two positions that I held were both because it felt right at the time, not because we had to um, 
you know, like it was something that oh, we have to have the money. So we, I've never felt like I couldn't make ends meet or, or the, you know, I've always been one to, if I want to figure something out, I'll just go learn it. You know, there's, and especially nowadays, there's just so many resources online. You can really get the equivalent of an MBA or a PhD uh, because all, a lot of these universities put their entire degree programs on the internet for you to take the courses for free. Yeah. Uh, now you don't get the certificate of the piece of paper, but you can get that knowledge. And I've always felt that with the knowledge I can get uh, in anything, I could go out and make a living. Yeah. Um, but the, the jobs that I've taken were opportunities that I felt would help me move to the next level. And they have. They tr- I mean, the last position I was interactive director for a, a good-sized advertising agency and did some amazing work with Fortune 100 companies. And I was you know, able to do that because of that relationship. If I was on my own in a small one, two-person shop, probably wouldn't have gotten the opportunity cool and that brings me to my next question is are you a person that likes to set yearly six-month goals or do you just have like a big vision and you just keep striding towards that i do think it's important to set goals but i think they should be um they should always be lofty they should always be hard to reach and i don't think it's a bad thing if you decide halfway through a year to change your goals um, I think a lot of times that, you know, I'll put, I've got a big dry race board in front of me and I'll put, you know, some big lofty goals on it. And like right now I've got fewer things more often get better at them. That's the three huge things written and, and, you know, yeah. type this big on my, on my dry race board because, you know, the things that I want to do, I want to do really well. And sometimes I realize through research, through working on them, that maybe it's not the best goal right now. Maybe something else is more important. So I don't feel bad about having a goal halfway through the year deciding, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on something else. So I think goals are important and working towards them is really important. But you also have to be flexible enough to know when uh, either it's maybe not attainable or maybe it's not as important as you thought it was. And I think that's something that a lot of people, like I'll start uh, a fitness re- regimen and and like the four-hour body. Yeah. And, and I was really, really into it. And I said, you know, I'm going to do this for the long haul. And then I realized, you know, I love to cook. And I love to cook things with starches. And, you know, I love that more than I love having a six-pack abs. Yep. <laughs> I, want, I want my pasta. So I think it's, it's okay to let yourself not achieve a goal. If that's something that you decide later on, it really wasn't as important to me as I thought it was. It makes sense, and this really good lessons. So, for yourself in that state, was what was your goal? Was it just to continue to drive revenue with your freelance, or what were you at that point? What was your mindset? Well, we were at the point when I sold my my web development company that I had me and one other person a programmer, and we were taking on some pretty good sized jobs, but we were going to have to hire more people and expand that way. Uh, or partner with someone in, in some way that we could really work on bigger projects. And I really wanted to work on, you know, the mom and pop stuff is fun. Uh, working on the small projects is, is fun sometimes, but I always wanted to work on more complex projects, mobile and, and large database driven, you know, really complex things to challenge my mind. So I just, I decided to, to call one of my competitors and just see if there was, I didn't know how we'd work together, but I was interested in just seeing how we would hit it off. We ended up hitting it off really well. And through a few months of conversations, he ended up buying my business. Wow. So just a leap of faith. You just went with your gut on that one, right? 
Yeah, I've never been one to think uh, you know competition is evil or bad, or that there's uh, a limited amount of resources out there. I think there's plenty for everybody. So I don't. I like being not safe. I would even call it frenemies. I like being friends with everyone. And in fact, even in our shoe business, I know all of our major competitors. I know the owners and have their cell phone numbers. And we talk a couple of times a year about the industry and how things are going. I think there's plenty of business for all of us. Yep. And I'm still a little competitive. I like, I like, you know, increasing on market share. And if and if there's decreases, I, I hate that for them. I mean, but I'm still in it to make money. Yep. But I definitely think that there's a lot more you can get from from good relationships out there, and there's plenty for everybody. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's all about abundance, and it seems like that's an ongoing theme. That as I interview more and more people. That they always talk about. They don't let the fact that someone else is doing something similar hold them back. They keep on moving forward. So that's that's great. Moving on with uh, the interview. So while you're doing all this with your freelance, uh, how how is the website going? You know, you mentioned that it started to increase once your partner um, sort of left. How were you able to run them in uh, in parallel? Well, fortunately, um, me selling my freelance business coincided within a few months of um, us taking over Two Big Feet Fully. And at the time, my wife had quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom. We had two little little children at the time. And uh, she decided that she would come on and be a partner. Uh, so I made her a biz- business partner when we incorporated the business. Um, and, you know, of course, work, worked out my business partner and my old partner from the paperwork. So she came on and ran the business, not, I wouldn't say full time, but, uh, it was a great resource that she was able to work around the kids' schedules around, you know, taking them to school and picking them up. And we started um, with a very, very small facility. And then over the years, I mean, hired some employees and moved into a bigger facility, uh, moved into an even larger, now we're in a 10,000 square foot warehouse. So we've continually just grown. And up until, it's like I said, August 15th, I was a part-timer. I would work nights and weekends, but the facility itself, my wife ran, and she ran all of our operations. She did the purchasing, the, the payables, the managing the employees, doing the hiring, and packing and shipping all of our orders. Wow. And it just seems like you guys are just in sync. Can you give some advice to our listeners on how you and your wife are able to do this? Because it, it seems like to be that... Um, that successful, you guys have to have, a, you have to be on the same page. Yeah, well, communication is definitely important. I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, I can never work with my spouse. Or, you know, you got to have like a separation of work. You know, when you go home, you don't talk about work anymore. And I think that's really weird um, because, I mean, I've, I've always loved what I've done for the most part. You know, sometimes, you know, you wake up and you, you don't love the, the day today. But, you know, I've always loved the industry that I'm in and being a business owner, entrepreneur, and, you know, that, that's what drives me. So I don't turn it on and I don't turn it off, and neither does she. You know, we constantly talk about the business. We're very open. We're best friends. We talk about everything. The kids get out of school. They come to our business. They're here in the afternoons, in fact. I'm afraid they probably might be coming in <laughs> soon, and you might hear her. But, you know, when they get out of school, they come back over here, and they get to see how a family business is run. And they get to interact with our employees. And so I think that the biggest thing if you're working with your spouse, or even if you're not, is communicate. 
I see a lot of people who, who go to work and then they come home and they don't even want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about this eight to ten hour period of time that they spent their day on. And that's a huge portion of your life. If you're not sharing that with somebody that, that you're that close with, then I think you're going to have problems. So we, we share, we talk about things, and we're kind of on the same wavelength as far as we have the same you know, overall goals, and we talk about the goals for the business, and we're business partners, so she has just as much of a say in it as I do, and, and we work together to make them a reality. Awesome. As far as just the business, do you guys always agree, or is there a, a how do you handle, so getting to my point, how do you handle situations when you may not always see eye to eye? We have clear areas of responsibility. And I think that's important when you have a business partner. And that's something that my previous business partner and I did well. You've got to have an area of responsibility. And you have to have responsibility over that area. You can't, even though I'm technically a majority partner, my vote is the, you know, the end vote. I can veto anything, but I don't do that. I give responsibility and I say, you know, if she asks for my opinion on something, let's say related to purchasing, I've got a new shoe that we might carry. I'll, I'll be happy to give her my opinion. But at the end of the day, I trust her judgment. And sure, she's going to make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. But it's her decision to make. And if she asks for my feedback, I'm happy to give it. But at the end of the day, if she makes a decision that I wasn't happy with, that's okay. It's not my area of responsibility because if you're ever going to grow your business, I learned a long time ago, you have to delegate and you have to not only delegate tasks because if you just delegate the task, you're going to be doing more work than you were doing, doing it all yourself. You have to delegate the responsibility for the task and be okay with the fact that it may not get done the way you wanted it to, but as long as you're both or all of your team is going towards that end goal then you're going to be okay. Let's dive in on that. You said not only do we need to delegate tasks, but we need to delegate responsibilities. Can you explain a little bit more about that, what you mean by that? Well, uh, we do um, a KRA document with all of our employees and with ourselves. And we outline areas of responsibility. And KRA? And KRA. Key uh, results areas. Oh, got it. And uh, probably from some book we read. <laughs> yeah. So we, my wife comes from a management and corporate world. So she's real into the standard operating procedures and manuals and, you know, really making things uh, systematic so that we can repeat them. And so when we delegate responsibility, we delegate it in a way that uh, is repeatable. It is it is always achievable. So we will make sure, you know, for instance, with someone is packing and shipping in the warehouse, we let, you know, we let them do their job however they see fit. Now we'll give them some tips or they can give us tips on how we can improve. We're very open to that kind of stuff. The only thing we require is that the job gets done accurately. So obviously you can't ship the customer the wrong item. That's, that's really, really bad. So as long as it gets done, it gets done accurately and, it gets, and the job gets done by the end of the day, that's their responsibility. How they do it, it's totally up to them. They can pick all the orders first and then pack them and ship them, which is probably the most efficient. But if it's more efficient for them to pack one at a time to make sure that they're not mixing anything up, I don't care as long as the job gets done. And that's kind of how we do it on the higher level too. 
Um, my wife is responsible for purchasing and picking out the new shoes that we sell. I'm responsible for the marketing. So obviously, if I'm not growing the business, then I'm kind of failing in my responsibility. And if she's buying too much that sits on the shelves and doesn't turn, then you know we need to do something and make some changes. So you know, I don't really criticize her area of responsibility other than in our conversations over you know, our overall goals and how we're moving towards them. But uh, I just trust that she's going to make good judgments and, and when she makes a mistake, she's going to correct it. You know, if she, we buy a shoe that doesn't do well, we're not going to keep buying it. We're going to close it out and put it on the, on the sale page and get rid of it. Got it. Um, that's really good advice for anyone, regardless if you're working with your spouse working in a corporation or whatever, have good communication, be willing to have a clear delegation on who's responsible for what. And as you mentioned, it's not just, hey, these are your tasks. No, you own everything. And how you get it done is fine. And I love how you have clear, how to describe it, um, just guidelines and guideposts. You know, as long as you stay within these borders, because this is what we defined, you can do it however you want. And that reminds me a lot about my work doing improv. Uh, it, it's just like life. Life is all made up. Improv is made up. But we couldn't do good improv without some boundaries. And a lot of the boundaries are, well, we're on stage. We need to actually say something. It needs to be something that people understand. And But regardless, we're telling a story and we're free to do it however we like. My scene partner, they may say something that I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but I'm not going to downplay that because that's their decision. So I love that. Moving on as far as uh, just your journey and your story. So correct me if I'm wrong. You had two businesses, two businesses that you ended up selling? Um, one. Uh, one. Got it. At the time, the, f the first time I got a job in web development, I didn't really even have a business. I was just doing freelance work. You know, I would do, <laughs> I would do a small website for a lawyer, and then I'd do a small website for you know an accountant, and then I'd do a small website for some friend who had a retail store. And so it wasn't really even a business. Um, and I went to a, a company and ran their web development department for a while until they went out of business. Um, the second time I sold my web development company, it was actually a company. We were doing web hosting. Uh, we were doing e-commerce, building e-commerce websites and managing them. And we had uh, quite a bit of recurring business with that. And then we were doing some pretty large web development projects and we had lots of projects in the pipeline. So, you know, it's really hard to sell a service business because, you know, your past customers, you know, how often do you buy a new website? Yeah. Uh, but as we had a little bit of recurring business, recurring revenue with the hosting and the service plans and things like that, it actually was feasible to sell it versus just, you know, taking a job somewhere. Great. And then they brought you on. Is this the one that you recently left from? It is. It is. They brought me on. This was in November 2006. And they brought me on as an interactive director. And I signed a contract to stay with for one year. And, uh, you know, after a year, I decided to stay another year. And, <laughs> And then, you know, every year after that, it just kept going and going and going. And I never really intended to stay. In fact, you know, I was to the point where I really wanted to focus my time on, on growing our business and kind of get out of the consulting type business because, you know, working on a different client every two months can get can really wear you down. Yeah. And I had been doing it at that point since uh, 2000, 2001. 
So I was starting to, you know, get really tired of, of doing the face-to-face with the client all the time. And I did get to back away from that. It's one of the reasons I think I stayed so long is that I was able to back away from the client side role and focus on you know, building the strategies and implementing them and working on really high-level solutions to our customers' problems, the, st- the really stuff that I feel is really exciting and fun. And so, you know, one turned into two, turned into four, and before I knew it, I had been there almost eight years when I finally left. Wow. <laughs> I, I think, like like you mentioned, it's, you have an intention, you know, to, it gave you exposure to things that you wouldn't have got on your own. But again, one of the things that I admire about you is that you, like, opened your eyes. So how did you get to that that point? Because, as you mentioned, it's, you know, stable work and you're doing some things that you enjoy, but what was the point where you said, you know what, I think it's time to actually focus on this? Well, I've, I've always been one that I like my freedom. I like the being able to come and go to, you know, just, like I said, have, you know, have responsibilities. They're my responsibilities. Um, I take full responsibility for them. But at the end of the day, I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit where I don't work really well with bosses and deadlines, not deadlines so much as um, the management on the micro level. Yeah. And in, in a lot of small companies, you get managed on the micro level. That's just the way it is. So uh, that was wearing on me a, a good bit. And it wore more and more to the point where, you know, when you wake up too many mornings, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, you know, if you wake up too many mornings in a, in a row and you don't like what you're doing, then you need to make a change. And so that's what I did. Uh, I woke up many mornings, and uh, when I started going to bed at night on Sunday, dreading Monday morning, I knew it was time for a change. And it wasn't that the work was bad or the people were bad or the, you know, it was just that, you know, I didn't fit into that culture. You know, if you're an entrepreneur and you get stuck in a day job, you know, it eventually wears you down to the point where, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't stand this. I just don't, I don't like it or whatever. And, uh, Man, it's, you know, you get out of it, and it's like you're you're free again. You have all the energy in the world to go do something else. Great. And so, before we take a break and we jump into the lightning round, tell us a little bit more about what life is like now. You know, now that you don't have someone micromanaging you, um, you know, what what are you up to these days? Well, uh, it, it's hard to believe it's been almost a, um, two months. It's been a month and a half since uh, my last day. It's just flown by so fast. I have spoken at conferences. I have done several podcast interviews. I have uh, I have worked on some really high level stuff. I've fixed a lot of small stuff. You know, when not physically being in my business for so long, there were little things that kind of piled up. And and there are probably things you could hire out. You know, computer stuff or this didn't work with that or whatever. And so I just fixed them all. And it was really good because it gave kind of a morale boost, you know, when something's not working and it's, and it's taken my, more time of my employees to get it done. Like we had a software issue in the back and I just went and fixed it. And I was like, okay, if that saves 15 or 30 seconds per order shipped and you're shipping thousands of orders a month, that ends up being a real savings. But I've also worked on uh, really saving money and increasing our sales. I've been focusing some of my time on, you know, going through our vendor relationships I renegotiated our UPS contract. You know, I've really had time to do a lot of those things on a higher level that are going to save us tens of thousands of dollars a year. And and I guess I'm partly doing that because I have to pay myself now. So 
you know, you lose the, the comfortable salary. And, and now I'm able to, uh, to find those savings and find, you know, increase our sales so that I can make up what I, uh, what I lost leaving my position. Great. And so exciting and so happy to hear that things are going well. I, I had no doubt. Uh, I was just always just getting over that initial fear um, and doing it. Uh, actually, last question I forgot to ask. What did when you told your employer that you're leaving? Were they surprised? Uh, did they say no, stay? Like, what was that like? No, I, I think they were. I think they knew it was coming uh, because they weren't very surprised. They were very gracious and kind. And uh, we we spent a month working out the notice because I gave my my notice on I think July fifteenth. So we spent uh, a month documenting and training other employees, and so it was a really smooth transition. So I think I think everyone everything went as well as could be expected. I haven't had too many jobs in my life, so I don't really know. I think that was as good as you could possibly imagine a transition going, because by the time we were done, I think everybody knew what they needed to know to do everything that I had been doing. Uh, they don't need me, and and I'm happier, and I'm I'm sure they're doing great too. Yeah, I, I think we all, whether you're scared to leave or transition, we. We think that, oh, everyone's going to be upset. They're going to be mad at me. They're going to punch me in the face. Or I don't know if they'll be able to do it. But, you know, uh, you're proof. So you just got to think about yourself. And, yeah, they weren't too surprised. So uh, obviously there's some sort of energy that is being dispersed. That's like, oh, I don't think Brandon's too happy here. But they value what you do. So they're not going to just fire you because it's not like you're aloof. <laughs> so that's that's good that everything worked out. And glad to hear that. Um, things are going good, and we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into the lightning round. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, Breakthrough Cocktailers. Let's face it. Staying competitive in this fast-paced world requires you to always be learning. However, taking in-person classes can be time-consuming and costly. Lucky for you, there's Udemy. Udemy is an online education marketplace that has thousands of courses from world-class educators. They have classes that will teach you how to program a WordPress site, to classes on improving your happiness. Classes are very inexpensive, and more importantly, you can do them on your own time. If you're interested in learning more, go to BreakthroughCocktail.com slash Udemy. That's U-D-E-M-Y to see a few of our favorite classes. All right, welcome back, Breakthrough Cocktail. I'm here with Brandon Eatley from TwoBigFeet.com. And before we jump into the lightning round, it wouldn't be a Breakthrough Cocktail podcast without finding out what you're drinking today. So Brandon, what are you drinking? Unfortunately, even though I have a red solo cup, it's just water. But it is it is it is early in the day, and so I would probably be having a, a delicious cocktail if this was early evening or late evening. But as I still have some work to do later, uh, it's just water. Got to stay hydrated. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to jump into it. First question that I have for you, Brendan, is being that you are in your entrepreneur, you wear a lot of hats. What techniques do you use to stay in the know with your field or your, your craft? I follow a lot of podcasts. Uh, I read a lot of blogs. I use Feedly to organize my blogs. And uh, I use iTunes for my podcasts. Uh, yours is subscribed. But also uh, being in the e-commerce space, e-commerce fuel, e-commerce pulse are just some of the podcasts that I follow. And so I'll listen to them when I'm riding to work in the morning. Or while I'm just sitting here in the office, I'll, I'll crank them up. 
And I think that's, I mean, you have to, you have to keep up and listening is a good way kind of subliminally. I may be focusing on something else at the time, but I'll hear something that, that I really want to listen to and I'll you know, turn around and really focus on that for a few minutes. Uh, and I think that's a good way to keep up with things. But uh, I also follow a few hundred blogs and I'll, I'll, I, mean, I don't read every post on every blog. I skim them, but I'll skim uh, two or three times a week in the morning as I'm drinking my coffee. I'll skim through my feed reader and look for you know, article headlines that, that speak to me about something that, you know, everything, it changes so rapidly. You know, you may be having a problem with this one day and then you, you get it taken care of, but you always have some things in the back of your head that you know you need to be a little bit better at. So I keep an eye out for those kind of posts. And mostly they're more motivational than tactical. Uh, I, I find the more motivational, leadership, uh, management type posts to be a little bit better than the tactical. You know, Because I've always felt like you can just Google how to do something. Yeah. That's great. And just piggybacking on that, What's a typical morning like with you? Can you walk us through your morning rituals? I like to uh, run sometimes in the morning. Uh, maybe a couple of times a week I'll go running. Uh, we live on, in a beautiful wooded kind of subdivision, so it's just absolutely gorgeous when the sun's coming up, if you can get out right when the, the sun's coming up to, to run. And then I, I have to have a good bit of caffeine because I'm not a big morning person. I think I'm more productive and I think better in the morning, uh, but I hate getting up. So I have some coffee, and I have a, a drive into work that's probably one of the best you could find. I go over our lake as the sun's coming up most mornings, and it's just absolutely beautiful view. So I really enjoy my commute. Living outside the city is definitely a benefit there. So I just I enjoy trying to get some really critical things done. Once I get in my office, I focus on one or two key things in the morning that really takes some concentration. I, I found, for me anyway, uh, after lunch, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I start getting uh, decision fatigue is what they call it. You know, you've made so many decisions throughout the day that you're just mentally tired. And so I try to make the big important decisions in the morning to have the important calls in the morning. And then in the afternoon, you know, I, the kids get here at three o'clock and I can spend some time with them or help them with their homework or, uh, you know, take off early a little bit every now and then, go have fun. Great. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I never really, uh, the only thing I remember ever wanting to be uh, was when I was a young teenager, like 12, 13, 14, I took martial arts and I always wanted to be a martial arts instructor. <laughs> and that's the only thing I can remember ever wanting to be when I grew up. Yeah. And uh, now I still think I would enjoy doing that part time. Uh, my son takes martial arts, and my daughter has off and on. And I've even I've even gone back and taken off and on over the years. Uh, but that's the only thing I think I've ever you know had like a desire. I thought, man, these guys, this is all they have to do is work out and do this fun stuff and and hold class with other people that want to do cool stuff with them. Uh, as far as a profession, I think I'm still trying to figure that one out. Yeah, sounds good. Well, you have plenty of time to figure it out. Next question is, how do you stay inspired? Especially because you're an entrepreneur. Um, you don't necessarily have a boss. Well, you don't have a boss per se. So how do you keep going? 
I tell you, one of the most inspiring things that I do is instead of watching a lot of TV or movies, uh, I try to limit it to, you know, like one TV show at a time. You know, you need a little bit of downtime. You need a time where you're not focused on anything work-related. So I watch one thing, like Walking Dead's about to come back on. I'm really excited <laughs> about that. But, but I try to stick to just one at a time. So if I want to watch something, if I just want to zone out for a little while, I'll pull up the TED Talks app. And I really find, even if it's completely unrelated to my industry, that some of those TED Talks are very, very inspiring. And I mean, that's, I think that's one of, the, one of the big things. I've really enjoyed watching a lot of the, the TED Talks from people like, uh, you know, and they even put in things that weren't technically TED Talks, like commemoration speech with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had us a couple of speeches. and Things like that, I think, are really inspiring. And so they, they help me to keep motivated to do bigger things long term than, than just, you know, the next quarter's profitable. Sounds good. Are there any books that you would recommend to any aspiring entrepreneurs? Uh, there are probably a couple of books that were you know, transformative for me. Uh, one of them was um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was just one of the most amazing books I think I've ever read uh, as far as you know, really putting priorities on things and taking responsibility for things and, and really focusing on relationships. Uh, but also on a tactical level, uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen was one of the best books. Uh, and then on the financial side, Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs, if you're a business owner, is the best way for a non-finance person to understand and actually read a P&L and a balance sheet, you know, because you know, we have to understand this stuff to be able to run a success- successful business. And that was something that I struggled with. It was the the best book for me to really kind of turn that corner and understand the, the deep financials of my business. Perfect. Do you have any hobbies or things that you like to do for fun other than watching Walking Dead and martial arts? I, I cook dinner and that's my, my non-screen time activity that I really is like a, almost like a, a ritual for me every day. I go to the grocery store and find out what I'm going to cook. I don't decide weeks ahead of time. Some people make a whole menu every every week. I just go feel like, what am I in the mood for? What do the kids want? What does my wife want? And I go home and you know put on some music, and that's for a couple of hours. I, I in my zone and and totally enjoying what I'm doing. So I really enjoy uh, being a you know, home chef. I guess you call it. That's great. Um, and you do this every day? Are you a chef? Just about. We'll eat out uh, maybe once or twice a month. And we'll do something easy, you know, like uh, something kind of prepared, you know, like a you know, spaghetti out of a can or something yeah. every once in a while. But for the most part, everything from scratch every day. That's great. What's one of your favorite meals? My favorite meals? I like a big filet with, uh, good. with some, you know, sauteed green beans and mushrooms and some homemade mashed potatoes. I'm just, you know, but I'm just a southern guy. I'm yeah. That's great. So two questions. First one is, are there any quotes or affirmations that you like to live your life by? I think the, the, one of the most inspiring quotes that I heard was from Steve Jobs, and I'll probably get it uh, not quite perfect, but he said something to the effect of, everything that you see in the world around you was, was built or made by people no smarter than you. And once you realize that you can change it and mold it and and make it anything that you want. It's a life-changing experience. And I didn't 
I didn't read that until or see his interview until far you know after I had started my business. But it's what really gave me the inspiration to that you know you really can you can look around you and say I don't like the way that that is, and you can just change it. There are very few things that you don't have the power to to make better in the world. So I think that was one of the things that really inspired me. That's great. And the last question is, if you can give our listeners just one simple tip, one thing that they can do to help them get clarity, find their passion, and live an awesome life, what would that be? I think if you wake up too many mornings and don't like what you're doing, you need to do what I did and just make a change. You don't have to do it abruptly. I planned mine out for several months. In fact, I probably planned it a little too long. It took me about a year to actually pull the trigger. But... Uh, in the end, I did what I felt was right and what would make me happy, and I've never been happy. Oh, that is so great. And Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show. So happy for all of your success, and it's such an inspiration to myself and I know to our listeners. And to our listeners, that is another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. You can find all of the things that we mentioned on this awesome podcast at the website, BreakthroughCocktail.com. Um, we'll have them in the show notes. And until next time, everyone... Stay awesome. You've been listening to Breakthrough Cocktail. If you liked what you heard, be sure to visit www.breakthroughcocktail.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the insider newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get instant access to exclusive content and frequent doses of happiness. See you there. Until then, stay awesome. Stay awesome.